somebody sew it onto the back of his train and every time they would sew it onto the back of his train it was a representation of victory and so the longer the train was the more victories that the king had the more victorious the more dominant that the king was and the bible says that when he saw the lord high and lifted up he said that he saw his train filling the temple you know what that means? That means we serve a God that's never lost a battle. We serve a God that doesn't know what it means to fail. We serve a God that doesn't know what it means to lose. And so, baby, you want to lift your head up high and declare, I got victory. It didn't say your train filled the temple. It didn't say that you were victorious. It said that he was victorious. And if you got the Holy Ghost, he's living on the inside. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, I'm full of victory. Look at your neighbor and tell him, I'm full of victory. Woo! It feels good in the house of the Lord this morning. Are you thankful to be in God's house? Amen. Why don't you make your way back to your seats? I like what I feel in this place. I feel victory. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I'm thankful to be in God's house. I'm thankful to be in God's presence. How about you? There's a lot of places I could be, a lot of places I should be, but I am thankful for the blood of Jesus that saved a wretched sinner like me. I'm thankful for the mercy and grace of the Lord that kept me, that held me. the distinct honor to bring the word of the Lord to you this morning. Do you have that, that hanky? I don't take it lightly. I want to give honor to where honor is due first to God. I'm thankful that his spirit is in this place and Bishop First Lady, I'm grateful for your leadership and your guidance. My beautiful wife who is carrying my first son who I cannot wait to meet amen amen why don't you grab your Bibles and stand with me all across this house 
Grab your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Genesis chapter 27. Book of Genesis chapter 27. Beginning at verse number 38. When you have it, say amen. If you don't have it, they've got it on the screen. How many are thankful for our media department? Amen. They do such a good job. Brother Judah's leading them. Brother Andy is one of my favorites on the screen back there. The Bible says in verse 38, And Esau said unto his father, Hast thou but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. And Isaac his father answered and said unto him, Behold, thy dwelling shall be the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven from above. And by the sword shalt thou live and shalt serve thy brother. And shall come to pass when thou shalt have the dominion. Everybody say, when thou shalt have the dominion. That thou shalt break his yoke from off thy neck. The CE translation of the Bible says, but when now, but when you decide to be free, you will break out. The ESV says, but when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. For just a few moments this morning, I feel like I feel like the weight of the world's on my shoulders right now. Got such a heavy burden in this house. It may not be for everybody, but I know it's for a couple. I know it's for a few. And so with the help of the Holy Ghost, I want to preach for just a few moments this morning. The yoke of bitterness. The yoke of bitterness. Can we lift our hands all across this house? And can we talk to the Lord and ask him to meet us in this place? Come on, I wonder if, if we can really lift our voice. I wonder if we can really petition the Lord in this house. Come on, don't let this just be another service. Don't let this just be another Sunday morning. But God, let change into my life. God, I want to leave this place different than the way that I came in. Lord, hide me behind the cross this morning. God, take these lips of clay and use them for your glory. In the name of Jesus, and everybody said in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated in this house. This is a relatively familiar passage of scripture to most people. It's a story of Jacob and Esau, and we can go back and you can read it from the beginning how the Bible says that their mother Rebecca wanted a children and she bare twins and the names were Jacob first Esau and then Jacob the Bible says that Esau was red all over thus his name and he came out first and as he was coming out the Bible says that Jacob's hand grabbed a hold of Esau's heel and they named him, therefore, Jacob, being supplanter. 
And you can see kind of, the Bible is, is, is somewhat silent on their life. You can see a few things that it does give us, and it tells us in one place right after that, that Jacob was a, a man of the tents. He dwelled in the tents with his parents, and, and obviously he was a, a great cook. And uh, Esau was a man of the field. He was a, a hunter. Um, some would go as far as to say he had some military prowess of some sort, and he was what you would call maybe a man's man, and he was a... A hard man and he was a, a strong man and you know how the story goes and I don't want to get too far ahead of myself but there's some issues that ensue between Jacob and Esau and that's kind of what brings us to this point but I feel like you've got to go back even further as to how we end up in this situation and you've got to go to where Esau sold his birthright in order to get context for this right here Esau openly admitted to Jacob that his birthright meant nothing to him. The Bible actually tells us that Esau despised his birthright. He hated it because it seemed to have brought him nothing. He actually said to Jacob, he said, what is this birthright to me if I die? What is the use of it? What is the purpose of it if it brings me absolutely nothing? If it doesn't sustain my immediate needs? And I still believe further that you have to go back that I believe that this language doesn't just come from anywhere where he just all of a sudden despises his birthright. And you read that and it kind of doesn't make sense because there's, there's no real correlation. We, just, we see that Jacob was a man of the tents and Esau was a man of the field and he was out hunting one day and he comes back home and he's faint and he says this birthright means nothing. Where did this disgust come from? Where did this, this, this loathing for the things of God and for the blessing of God come from? You don't just, people don't just wake up and, and, and just have a hatred. Some people do. Some people just, what we would call, wake up on the wrong side of the bed. and They just need an attitude check. Life is not that serious. That messed some people up right there. Look at your neighbor and say, don't take life too seriously. I don't believe that people just wake up sometimes just with, with hatred burning in their heart. There, there's usually something that is attached to it. There's usually something that it stems from, and I believe it's no different than with Esau. Because when you read in the book of Genesis chapter 25, the Bible says that Esau grew and he became a hunter. A man of the field, and if you've ever hunted or if you've ever explored or done any, any type of um, uh, wandering, you'll, you'll know that sometimes you can get really lost. Anybody else been there? Maybe as a little kid, your mom told you, go outside and don't come back until I unlock the door. And they told you, just go figure it out. Go, go have fun. And you'd come back all bloody and bruised and teeth missing. You weren't there. But the Bible says that he was a man of the field. And I believe that this still doesn't, this still fails to answer the question as to where Esau found his resentment. And so you kind of have to go further back than that, I believe. And when you begin to study and read commentaries, you find that Ishmael, who was Isaac's brother, older brother, it was believed that he lived close by to Isaac and his family. 
And where Isaac established his family and his tribe, Ishmael was not too far away. And he established his tribe. And so many theologians and commentaries and, and historians believe that at some point, based on, based on further reading in the book of Genesis, that Esau came in contact with Ishmael. That Esau came in contact with his uncle, his bitter uncle. And when you begin to read, and it, it, it kind of, you can kind of fill in the blanks a little bit. And I don't, I don't mean to, before I get in trouble, I don't, I'm not trying to add or take away from the Bible. But there's a lot of places where the Bible is silent. And, and, and you can kind of, just by picking up on different passages of Scripture, you can kind of fill in the blanks a little bit about to what is going on. And you can see the... You can almost imagine as Esau is hunting and he's growing up and he's exploring and he's killing deer and he's bringing it back and he's making venison. I can almost, I can almost see him, him stumbling upon the tents and the, the village and the, the tribe of Ishmael and he's wondering who are these people and, and what are they here for and, and he makes his way in and they find him and they start talking and all of a sudden he comes to the realization, hey, you, you know my father, Isaac. And he maybe takes it back to his dad and says, hey, dad, I met a man today. His name was Ishmael. And maybe Isaac says, Ishmael, where did you meet this man? And he says, well, he's, he's a man that's over a couple miles that way. And he's got a whole village of people. And he's, he's a cool dude, dad. Is he your brother? He told me, here's your brother. You can kind of see this playing out, this, this kind of unfolding in I believe that this is where the seeds of doubt began to be placed into Esau's little mind. Because you can imagine, if you, if you read up on the story of Ishmael, it, it's kind of a quick little thing and you miss it if you don't really pay attention and take it apart and, and slow down. But the Bible says that Ishmael was the product of faithlessness, essentially. Bible says that the angel came to Abraham and Sarah and said that you too will have a son and he would be the promised seed and out of him would the nations of the earth be blessed and all these things and they disbelieved and they went and had Hagar come and, and they bore a son with Hagar, Abraham and, and Hagar and the result of that was Ishmael and the problem with that is that that wasn't the way that God said it would happen and there's a lot we can talk about right here but let it be known that when you don't do things God's way, you birth Ishmael's. And when you don't do things God's way, you, you, birth, you birth problems. And all of a sudden you'll look up and wonder, you got a, a, a problem here and you're wondering where it's come from. Well, you can point back to the place where you didn't believe God and you did it your own way. And I can see as... as Ishmael is talking to Esau and he's recounting the stories and, and maybe they're sitting by a fire and Esau is saying, hey, tell me about, tell me about Grandpa Abraham. I've, I've heard stories, but I wonder what you have to say because my dad never told me about you. And, and so he's telling him, yeah, Abraham, he was, a, he was a great man. Abraham was a powerful man. He was a blessed man. But Abraham had some problems and me and Abraham didn't quite see eye to eye throughout the years and he maybe tells him about how the time he was the firstborn and, and he was the one that was supposed to receive the blessing, the full blessing and the full authority of Abraham and, and he can tell him, you can tell maybe there's some anger and resentment and as he begins to recount the stories of Abraham and how great he was except for this one little thing that he did 
where he, he, he had me and it wasn't supposed to be that way according to his God and, and, and there's resentment there and there's some, some bitterness and some anger that he's, that he's uh, uh, planting into this young man's mind, this young man Esau who's a hunter, who's curious and who's wandering around the countryside and the Bible says, or I, I can imagine as he continues on to tell him, yeah, I, was, I was about 13 years old when, when my dad came to me and said, hey son, we've got to be circumcised per the law of God. And so he takes his 13-year-old son and all of his man, manservants and all of his slaves and he circumcises them as a sign that they would be set apart, that they would be a people chosen unto God. And so this 13-year-old boy having to submit himself to his father not only, not just a few years later, we find that he's kicked out by Abraham. And so you can imagine the questioning that's going on in this young man's mind of, wasn't I just called to be a part of this family? Wasn't, didn't I go through the same things that you guys went through? I, I went through the same process to be a child of God. I, I went through the same process to be called a son of Abraham. And yet you're kicking me off to the side of the road. And that's kind of just where he ends up. And he just kind of floats. And he's tossed off to the side. And you can imagine the bitterness and the anger that's stirring up inside of him. We know that Esau knows Ishmael because later in the book of, in the book of Genesis, the Bible says that after Esau was betrayed, it says that he went unto Ishmael and he found himself a wife. Now, many historians believe at this point that Ishmael had already passed on some 13 years prior but the fact that he knew where Ishmael was, the fact that he knew where his people were, the fact that he knew that there were women there that he could marry tells me that at some point he came in contact with this man and at some point he got it in his mind that this birthright meant nothing. At some point he got it in his little mind that what good does it serve me if I die because Uncle Ishmael was supposed to be the firstborn and Uncle Ishmael was supposed to have the blessing and look where he's at. He's cast off to the side and he's had to make his way in life the hard way. So what good does this birthright do me? Can I just tell you today that you ought to be very careful with the conversations we have in our homes and the places that we send our kids. I can remember... I can remember as a little boy growing up in church, first coming to the church, we have family in this area that unfortunately, just the way that life happened, I, I, we didn't associate with them and, and it was for good reason and I, if they're listening, I want them to know that I love them and that I, I want nothing more for them to be saved but they lived in this area and my mom went to Pastor Urshan one day or he came to her or something like that and he's, I believe he told her, hey, be careful where you send your son. And as a four or five year old little boy, I found that I was no longer visiting family. And I was no longer visiting friends that we used to have. Why? Not because my mom didn't like them. Not because my, my, my pastor at the time thought we should be isolated from, from other people and, we, and we're better than other people. But no, he knew that there was such a thing as influence. And he knew that as a little boy, I was impressionable. And that if I stayed connected to that trash and I stayed connected to that way of living, that no, there was no telling what would have happened in my life. And so as the watchman on the wall, he said, you know what, Sister Lindsay? It's probably better if you just don't bring them around those people anymore. It's probably better if you don't 
don't bring them around those places because God forbid they slip up and say something that goes against the word of God. God forbid they say something that goes against the man of God. God forbid they... And yet we got parents, and personally I'm, I'm being careful, but we've got parents that that don't care about where their kids go. And then we, we've got parents that don't care about what they're learning, their kids are learning at school. And we've got parents that don't care about what influence they have over their house and, and whose house they're sending their kids to. Can I tell you that your kids, your children are the future. They're your future and they're the future of the kingdom of God. And so you've got to be careful where you let your kids go and what you let them listen to. And who you let influence them. It was a hard thing, but I'm forever grateful for the stance that my mother took years ago. I'm forever grateful for the stance that she took to not let me be involved with certain people. I can remember her saying, whose house do you want to go to? I don't know if I can let that happen. And I would get upset and, and, and angry and say, why can't you just let me go to this person's house? Everybody gets to go to this person's house. Everybody gets to do all the things that I want to do. And there was something that I didn't understand. And it was that I was different than everybody else. It was that she knew that there was something special in my life. And that I couldn't just be placed in any type of environment. And that I couldn't just be placed under any type of subjection. I couldn't just be placed. No wonder that as Esau returns from the field, he's stumbling because he's hungry and he's probably been out there for weeks or days or however long he was out there. And the Bible says he caught nothing and he comes home and he can smell the aroma of, of whatever you want to call it. Maybe it was red beans and rice. Maybe it was dirigeant. Maybe it was arroz con pollo. Whatever you want to say. Maybe he could. He, I can almost. I can almost. I can almost smell it now. I'm so hungry. As he's coming back, Judah, you too. Come on, you know. You know. He's coming back into the into his father's camps, and and he can smell the aroma, and he's making his way toward it, kind of like, kind of like a dog that has no idea what's going on. He just smells food. He's being drawn toward it and he's stumbling and he comes upon his brother cooking a pot of beans and he says to him, give me some before I faint. And Jacob in his wit and in his deception, he says, I'll give you some Esau, but I need something from you. I need your birthright. And right there, Esau should have thought to himself, why would he want my birthright? Right there, he should have realized that it was worth something more than just a pot of beans. Right there, he should have realized that it was worth more than just a bowl of soup. But can I, this isn't in my notes, but I feel like saying this right now. But can I also tell you the flip side of that is that Jacob valued the birthright at the same thing. Esau saw it was worth a bowl of beans. And Jacob also thought it was only worth a bowl of beans. Young people, can I tell you that what you have is precious? And can I tell you that you ought not sell it for anything in this world? And don't devalue it for anything in this world. The Holy Ghost is too precious for you to lose it over some boy or some girl. The Holy Ghost is too precious for you to lose it over some job. 
And so Esau values his birthright, the blessing of Abraham out of bowl of beans. And so he says to him, you know, we just said it. What value is this to me if I die? And he says, here, take it. And the question is, is where did this come from? And I believe that it stems all the way back to Ishmael and his encounter with his uncle where he, he heard the stories about how he was the firstborn and, and how it profited him nothing. And so it's no wonder that as it was played down to him, it's easier and easier for him to reject it. I wonder how many times Jacob asked him for his birthright. I wonder how many times Jacob said to him, hey, I want the blessing. And finally he cracks and they give it to him. A conversation. See, we think Esau just showed up on the scene, but no. Esau had seeds of doubt placed into his mind. He heard conversations about how their birthright meant nothing. About how the things of God meant nothing. About how the church was nothing and how the pastor doesn't know what he's talking about. Jesus said, if you offend one of these little ones, that it'd be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the sea. He literally was saying, you're better off to the rest of the world at the bottom of the sea. If you offend one of these little ones, if you spread seeds of doubt into one of these little ones' minds, you're, you're more valuable at the bottom of the sea than you are on the land. That's how serious he was about this. And we sit at tables and we have conversations that tear people apart. And we raise unreasonable questions. We make suggestions about the man of God and, and we use phrases about the people of God and, and we have these conversations at dinner tables and at events and not knowing, not realizing that there just might be a little Esau off to the side listening into your conversation. And what you think you can handle, what you think is a mature conversation between adults is damning to your little son or your little daughter. And those little seeds of doubt are dropped into their mind and so they begin to question. And they begin to wonder, well, if daddy thinks this, then I guess it may be true. And if mama thinks this, then I guess it may be true. And if the people that mommy and daddy have overthink this, then maybe it's true. The thing about seeds, you gotta understand, is that eventually they grow into a tree. But what happens before they grow into a tree? What happens before you see the, the buds shoot from the surface is they begin to take root. Before you ever see the flowers, before you ever see the beauty, before you ever see the fruit, you've got to understand that there's roots being placed deep into the ground. There's, there's roots being placed deep into the earth and it's beginning to germinate and it's beginning to take, take some depth and it's beginning to solidify is what happens. A tree is only as good as its roots are. And the thing about roots is that they're under the surface. Now that may seem obvious, but the thing about bitterness is that it's also under the surface. 
Oftentimes, people grow bitter because of situations and things that happen to them, and it just stays under the surface, and over time, it germinates, and it grows, and it grows, and the roots go deeper and deeper and deeper, and they just become more and more bitter. There's something I found out that's interesting, that there are some trees, well, most trees' roots are below the surface, but I began to realize that there are some trees that the roots grow above the ground sometimes. And there's a reason for it. Anytime you see a root growing above the ground, it's, it's typically because there's not enough oxygen in the dirt. Or the soil wasn't meant to hold that type of tree. And so we drop seeds into people's minds. Maybe not a child, but maybe a saint of God. Maybe we say, hey, what'd you think about what pastor said the other day? Or, hey, what'd you think about what Brother Spalaza said? Or, hey, First Lady said this, but what do you really think about that? And we drop seeds into people's hearts, into people's minds, and, and we don't even realize that there's a little bit of a root of bitterness growing. And the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that that root of bitterness will spring up. Because it was never meant to be there. And when it springs up, the Bible says it brings problems with it. It brings issues. Esau should have never had to deal with that root of bitterness growing underneath the surface. Esau should have never had to deal with that root of bitterness that was started off as a seed in his life. And yet, we find him having to deal with it. In Genesis chapter 27. Your bitterness today will affect your children tomorrow. If you don't take care of it. If you don't root out the bitterness right now. If you don't root out the, sh the issue right now. Your children will have to deal with it. And the reason why I know this is true. Is because later in the book. In the book of uh, Second Kings. The Bible says that the Edomites. Were underneath the, Ju uh, the, uh, the children of Judah. And there was a bitterness that was there. And the Edomites hated the Jewish people. They hated Israel with everything that they had because there was bitterness that stemmed all the way back to Esau and then all the way back to Ishmael. Esau, Esau had bitterness from, I believe, two different sources. And I know I'm, I'm going kind of slow today, but I really feel like somebody needs to hear this this morning. Brings us to the text where Esau feels betrayed and cheated by his brother Jacob. But the truth is he rejected it long ago. The truth is, is that he saw no value in it. And the problem with bitterness is that it skews our reality. And it causes us to point fingers and blame other people. And it causes us to make excuses for ourselves. And so he tells his father, e my brother Jacob has deceived me these two times. When the truth is, is he only deceived him one time because the first time he sold his own birthright. But in his eyes and his bitterness and his anger, all he could see was betrayal. If you let your bitterness grow out of control, if you let your bitterness grow to, grow to the point where it begins to spring up, You'll start to look at other people and think they're the enemy. You'll start to look at your brother and your sister and think they're the problem. 
when the problem is all along, you've had a root of bitterness so deep in your spirit that you've let grow and you've let germinate and you've let, you've let it just go and go and go and to the point now where it's starting to cause problems and it's starting to break the surface. He had the choice to keep the birthright. He had the choice to make a decision. He could have, I believe he could have gone home to his mom. I don't know where they were at in relation to the rest of the, the family, but would it have been that hard for him to just walk maybe a few hundred more feet to home to his mom and say, hey, can you please cook me something? Would it have been that hard for him to just walk just a little bit further and say, hey, I've been out all, all night. Can you make me something? Jacob is wanting my birthright, but it's too precious to me. No, he said it meant nothing to him, and so he sold it, but then he blames his brother for his own problem. For his own lack of desire for the things of God. You can't blame other people for, other, for your lack of desire for the things of God. When situations arise in your life, and yes, sometimes people say things and people do things, but the truth is, is you've got to make it up in your own mind that you're going to get rid of this bitterness. And I don't want to jump too far ahead of myself, but sometimes things happen in life that we can't control, and it's up to us to decide. It's a poison bitterness. I think it's interesting that it's called the root. The Bible refers to it as the root of bitterness. Because oftentimes in the word of God, bitterness is, is correlated with gall, which is a poison. And it was often used to create hemlock, which was ingested into the body. And so it's as if you get this, this image in your mind of, of poison that's just eating away at somebody when they've got bitterness inside their heart. And there's just this poison that's because of, of what happened. And maybe, and maybe oftentimes it's because of, of our own wrongdoing. We come to church and we sit, with our, our, our sit on top of our hands and we don't get involved in the things of God. And, and maybe we're not reading our Bible like we should. And we're not praying like we should. And, and we're not fasting like we should. And if you're not careful, you'll start to point the blame at other people. And you'll start to point the fingers at other people when all along you lost your first love. When, when all along God was standing right there saying, why don't you just come and commune with me? And so there's that type of bitterness that's all, that can be caused by your own wrongdoing. But then there's another type of bitterness. A bitterness that, that you didn't do anything to deserve. A bitterness that may have taken you by surprise and some things happened in your life that you never intended to happen and, and somebody said something or somebody did something. And Esau had this type of, of bitterness to contend with as well because while he despised his birthright, Jacob really did deceive his dad. You have, you have to admit that. The Bible tells us flat out that Jacob went as by, his mother's, by his mother's instruction Jacob went and put, put goat skins on his arms and on his neck and, he, and he, he brought venison that tasted just like Esau's venison and he brought it in into his dad because he knew his dad didn't have good eyesight and so he purposely deceived both his brother and his father and there are times in life where situations arise where there's absolutely nothing we can do about it. First lady, I found out that oftentimes I'm the problem for my own bitterness. 
But there are times where things happen in my life and situations arise and, 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 and people say things and people do things and, and maybe it was when you were a little kid and you experienced some things that no little child should ever experience and maybe it was when you were younger and you heard some things that a little child was never supposed to hear and you've got this little seed in your life that you don't know what to do with and, and you're a child and you don't know what to say or where to go or who to talk to and it just begins to germinate in your spirit and it just, it just grows and grows until all of a sudden a root begins to form and it takes root in your life and it all of a sudden it just springs up. There are times where this is the case. There are times when there are things that are done that we can't do anything about. But I think it's so interesting and this is, this is what I wanted, this is where I wanted to get today. That when Esau realizes that his brother deceived him, when he realizes that his brother took the birthright from him, the Bible says that he goes to his dad and he says, do you not have one blessing left? Dad, I know I messed up, I, but do you have one blessing left? Is there anything left that you can give me? And so you read in verse 40 that Isaac, his father answered and said unto him, Behold, thy dwelling shall be the fatness of the earth, and of the dew of heaven from above, and by the sword shalt thou live, and serve thy brother, and it shall come to pass. When thou shalt have the dominion, thou shalt break his yoke from off thy neck. In other words, he says, you're going to be blessed because you're a seed of Abraham. You're going to be blessed because that's just the way God set it up. You're a child of the king. You're a child of Abraham. And so you're going to be blessed. And then he says, you're also going to live by the sword. In other words, you're not going to have an easy life. I'm sorry, son. This is all the word. This is all the word that I have for you. This is all God gave me. You're going to have a hard life, son, because the blessing of an easy life was given to your brother Jacob. It was supposed to be given to you, but all I have for you is that you're going to have a hard life. You're going to have to live by the sword. You're going to have to make some hard decisions. And I'm sorry, but these are the only cards I have left. Has anybody ever felt like that you were just dealt a terrible deck of cards? That every time you turn around, it just seems like nothing's going right. And every time you turn around, it seems like the world is falling out from beneath you. And number three, he said, you and your offspring are going to be subject to your brother. Because it was prophesied, the older shall serve the younger. And so there's nothing else I can say. But then the fourth thing that he says, and this is what I find the most interesting. He says... When thou shalt have the dominion, shalt, thou shalt break his yoke from off thy neck. Jacob's deception and betrayal placed the yoke of bitterness on Esau's neck. It, it, it was as if he became a beast of burden. The yoke was used to, to place onto an ox. And what that would do is that would give the, the owner, it would give the owner authority over the ox. And and it would tell the ox where to go. And whenever the, the owner would move the yoke, the ox would have to follow because there was nowhere else it could go. And, and so it was as if he became a beast of burden. But what really happens is he became bound to the bitterness that was inside of his life. He became subject to it. He became a slave to it. And Isaac tells him, listen, I know there's some things that you did wrong and that you've got to fix. 
He says, but I also know that Jacob stole the birthright from you. And I know that there's some things that have happened to you that you can't change. And that I can't change. And that God can't change. But let me just tell you something, Esau. When you have the dominion, that's when you'll break the yoke off of your neck. When you finally get tired of the bitterness. When you finally get tired of the wrongdoing. When you finally get tired of how they treated you. When you finally get dominion over what they said. When you finally get dominion over what you experienced. Then you will have the dominion. Can I just tell somebody today, I don't know what happened to you as a child. I don't know what happened to you as a young adult. I don't know what you heard. I don't know what you saw. I don't know what you experienced. But that root of bitterness that's in your life was never meant to be there. But I'm also here today to tell you that you can be rid of it today. You can be rid of the bitterness and the anger and the hurt and the resentment today. You don't have to walk around with the root of bitterness in your life. You don't have to walk around with a yoke and a burden in your life. You can be free. You can be free. I wasn't, I wasn't going to do this, but I feel like I need to. I'm, I'm going to say something. I don't, I don't mean it to be a sob story by any means. And I know people have experienced way worse than I have. But my father left, my biological father left when I was four years old. And music, you can come. He left when I was four years old. I'm just giving you part of my testimony. Is that okay this morning? This isn't a woe is me session, so don't take it that way. But he left when I was four, and I can, I can remember as a four-year-old little boy lying awake at night, crying because my dad wasn't coming home. I can remember vividly Things that no child should ever have to have seen. As a, as a two and three year old, I can remember seeing things. I can remember hearing things being said as a, as a very, very young child. And as I began to grow older, I, I told you a little bit, but my mom did her absolute best to adhere to the word of God and the man of God in her life. And she, she kept me from those environments. And she kept me from, from certain places and certain people. But what I didn't realize until I got older was that that seed had already been planted. And that a root began to germinate in my life. And bitterness began to grow. And as I got older, I, I didn't realize it. And people would ask me, we would have conversations as I, as I began to mature. And they would ask me about my, my father and, and where he was and if he was in the picture or anything like that. And, and I can remember telling people, no, he's not, but it's okay. And I can remember 
pushing those emotions down. And I can remember making excuses and, and saying, I'm fine. I, I'm, I'm over it. I'm, I'm 15 now. I'm, I'm 16. I'm, I think as far as 17, 18. And all the while that, that, that root of bitterness was growing and growing and growing. And I won't say who the student was. They can tell you if they like, but as I began to grow older and I had never wanted to talk about part of my testimony and I, I, I didn't want that to be part of my life. And I, whenever people would ask me, I would just kind of make excuses and avoid the conversation. But I can remember having a conversation with a student up in RCA we had to pull the student aside and they were going through some things and it was some real things that they were going through and some real struggles. And I, I, I tried to connect with this young man and I, I, I tried to, to let them know that I, I get what you're feeling. I know how you feel. And it just... It didn't seem to work. And all of a sudden, that young man raised his voice and said to me, you don't know what it feels like. He said, you, you don't know what it feels like. to not, I can't remember exactly how he said it, but you don't know what it feels like to not have a father in your life. And instantly, I don't know what came over, but instantly I, I, I raised my voice back at him and I yelled. I said, yes, I do. And hot tears began to stream down my face. I said, yes, I do. I said, my dad left when I was four years old. And I uncontrollably began to sob. As I explained, I know exactly what you're going through. I know exactly how you feel. Don't you tell me I don't know what it feels like to not have a dad in my life. For eight years, my mom was single. And I grew up without a father. And I'm thankful for my dad, Brother Sloss. I changed my last name before I got married because I wanted my wife and my kids to have a legacy. And I yelled at him and I said, I know exactly what you're talking about. I know exactly how you feel. And I turned around and I just, I wept uncontrollably because I didn't realize that there was a root of bitterness in my heart. And realized that I had this issue deep down in my spirit. And for years, for, for years, I just kept suppressing it. And I kept telling myself, it's okay. I kept telling myself, everybody, not everybody has a dad in their life. And I kept telling myself, it's okay to not have a dad. And it's okay to have these feelings. And it's whatever. And I would just pass it off as just life. And it wasn't until that moment that I actually came face to face with my reality. And that was that I was bitter at life. I was bitter at God. And I was bitter at people. And that young man looked back at me with tears in his eyes and said, I'm sorry. I didn't know. There are some things you can't control in life. 
There are situations that were never meant to happen to you that you can't control. There are things that you may have seen, you may have heard, that you can't change. But when you have the dominion, when you finally say enough is enough, that's when the yoke's going to break off your neck. I didn't know it, but I, I didn't know it, but I was being... I was being led through life. I was preaching. I was singing. I was going to conferences. I was, I was having fun. But I was bound to this bitterness. I kept my head looking downward and I couldn't. I thought everything was okay. But it wasn't until that moment that I realized that I've got some deep, deep scars. And I've got some deeply rooted bitterness that God has to take care of. And I don't remember if it was the same day or a few days later, but I can remember coming to this house and to this altar and crying out to God. Saying, God, I'm sorry. And saying, God, please take away the bitterness. Say, God, please. And it was that moment. And I, I told my dad this years later, but it was at that moment that I forgave him. And you may say, why? Because I knew that it was up to me. There was nothing he could do about it. There was nothing my mom could do about it. There was nothing my pastor could do about it wasn't anything God could do about it I had to get the dominion I had to I had to lay it down at his feet I had to be the one to forgive let's stand in this house These altars are open, but before you come down, there are two things that are going to happen or that need to happen today. The first thing is you need, you need to let go of the bitterness. The bitterness that's been holding you captive for years. The anger, the resentment that's kept you from moving forward, it's kept you from progressing. You've got to take care of it book of James or book of Peter it tells us casting all your cares upon him for he careth for you and that word care hold on hold on hold on that word care is an emotional word it's a vivid word that means to literally throw down it means to, to, to throw it off of you you've got to cast it I'm done with this I'm done living underneath bitterness. I'm done living with resentment. I'm done living with hatred. You've got to throw it down. If you're really going to be free from it, you've got to throw it down. Reminded of a song that says, Jesus, it's you who understands the language of my tears. The broken parts of me that haven't healed. before you come to this altar and you think that nobody knows what you're going through he knows 
And you don't even have to say a word sometimes. Sometimes those tears streaming down your face are more than enough to communicate. Woman walked in on Jesus and his disciples and some Pharisees and the Bible says she didn't say a single word. She ran over to his feet, got on the ground and broke open an alabaster box of oil and the Bible says she washed his feet with, his, with her tears. And the disciples began to murmur, but Jesus said, you have no idea what this woman's going through. He understood everything in that moment just by the tears that were streaming down her face. So that's the first thing that needs to happen today is you've got to want to be done with the resentment. You've got to, be, you've got to want to be done with the bitterness and you've got to cast it down. And the second thing that needs to happen is you need to understand that the only cure for your bitterness is Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, in the, I believe it was the book of Exodus, when Moses is bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt, the Bible says that they come across a place of water. It's called Marah because the waters were bitter. They couldn't drink them, but they were thirsty and they needed something. The Bible says that Moses took an olive tree and he cut it down and he threw it into the water and the waters became sweet so that they could drink it. We don't have enough time to get into it, but that's a depiction of the cross of Calvary. That's the redemptive work of, of Calvary that Jesus went through for me and for you. He died so that you and me may have life. But not just life, life abundantly. More abundantly. You know what that means? Above the problems. An abounding life. Uh, above the resentment. Above the bitterness. Uh, above. Jesus had the opportunity to get bitter. The Bible says that those soldiers a cup of gall bitterness they put it up into his mouth and, and they told him to drink and when the Bible says when he tasted when he smelled it he rejected it why? because you can go through life you can have struggles and not get bitter he was showing us right there you don't have to turn to drugs he, he's the Pope the perfect example of being abused and misused and mistreated and lied on and cheated. He's the perfect example. And yet he rejected the bitterness. The opportunity came for him to get bitter at his circumstance. If anybody had the right to get bitter at life, it was Jesus standing on the cross. A perfectly innocent man who had things done to him that you and I couldn't even dream of. And yet he rejected the opportunity to get bitter. So 2,000 years ago, he could look you in the face and say, you can do it too. You don't have to be bitter with life. You don't have to be bitter with your circumstances. You can overcome. You can get past it today. The solution is not for you to get as far away from the house of God as possible. But it's for you to get as close to this altar as you possibly can. And say, God, take it out of me.
God, take the bitterness out of me. God, I don't want to walk around with a yoke on my neck for the rest of my life. God, free me from this bitterness. So these altars are open right now. I invite you to come down to this front. If you're ready for change today, if you're ready for a new start, I've, right now in this house is an opportunity for you to be free. Right now is in, in this house is an opportunity for you to cast off the yoke of bitterness. Right now in this house is an opportunity for you to be free. Come on, somebody. Why don't you make your way down to this front right now? Come on, you ought to fall in love with this altar. You ought to fall in love with this altar right here. I don't know what you've experienced. I don't know what you've gone through in life, but today can be the last day that you have to deal with it. Today can be the last day that you go with the yoke of bitterness on your neck. Today can be the day that you walk out of here free. Today can be the day that you walk out of here whole. Come on, I invite you to come down to this altar. I invite you to pour out your heart to God right now. Come on, somebody needs to lay it down. Somebody needs to lay it down. Come on, you're trying to carry too much. You're, you're trying to hold on to too much. That bitterness is going to crush you. That bitterness is going to crush your family. That bitterness is going to crush you. You need to lay it down right now. You need to lay it down today. God, I'm done with it. God, I'm done with it. God, I'm done with it. I lay it down, Jesus.
gonna let them uproot it. Let them uproot it today. Come on, let them uproot it today. Come on, let them take it out of you today. Take it out of you today. Jesus. 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 Jesus.